Well, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 16 this morning, if you would do that. Luke chapter 16. When God called me to preach, when I was just a teenager, actually, which was just a few months after I'd gotten right with the Lord, I made a commitment, and the commitment that I made was that I would preach the Bible. Today's topic that I want to share with you from God's Word is not being preached very much in today's churches. It is not an easy message to preach, and I can assure you it's not an easy message to hear. I would rather honestly preach just about any other topic from the Word of God than the one that I believe God would have me to preach on today. Trust me, I've been in ministry long enough that I do know beyond any shadow of a doubt that we could have more people attending First Baptist Church if we would only preach feel-good sermons and positive messages. But as I said a moment ago, I know that God called me to preach the whole counsel of God because how do I know that? Because he tells every preacher that in the Word of God. Scott Peterson was found guilty of killing his wife in somewhere around the year 2002, if I'm not mistaken. He was found guilty of killing his wife and unborn baby. I think his wife was pregnant around eight months. Lacey, who was his wife, Lacey's mother, Sharon, I think her last name is Boca, spoke directly to Scott Peterson at the sentencing phase of the trial. And I want to just quote what she said to him. She said, The fact that you no longer wanted Lacey did not give you the right to murder her. She was my daughter. I trusted you. And you betrayed me. In fact, you betrayed everybody. Did you look in the eye, Scott, in her eyes when you killed her? Was she alive when you threw her in the bay? It is time, she said, that you take responsibility for murdering Lacey and Connor, your son, your own flesh and blood. Now, Scott Peterson, I say to you, you deserve to burn in hell for all of eternity. Those are some strong words, aren't they? But it brings a question to my mind that I want to bring to your attention today. When I read that, the question comes to you and to me, is there really a hell? Is there a hell? If so, what should we do about it? You see, the very concept of hell makes people very, very uncomfortable, doesn't it? It just does. There's something about the subject. There's something about that topic. There's something about the atmosphere when a preacher speaks about hell or we begin to think about hell. It just makes people uncomfortable. And as a result of that, people ignore it or reject it, or even mock it. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, said that there is coming a day of great judgment where God will literally separate people in two totally different groups. Just two. Not three, four, five, or six, two. He will separate the sheep from the goats. He says that the sheep will go into everlasting life, while the goats 
will go into everlasting torture. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus takes two separate people and he puts them in contrast to one another. He takes one man who has everything in life. That man dies and ends up with nothing in eternity. The other man, in contrast to him, this guy has nothing in life. He dies and has everything for all of eternity. Let's begin our reading in verse 19 of chapter 16 of the book of Luke. Jesus says, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and this guy fared sumptuously every day. In contrast, he says, there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate, and this guy was full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and they licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, speaking about the presence of God. The rich man also died and he was buried and in hell. He lift up his eyes, being in torments, and he seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, or in his presence. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, because I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great vast gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you, they can't. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, because I have five brethren, that they may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one went Unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. I want to give to you three simple things today on the subject of hell. I hope you'll open your heart, whether you're watching online or whether you are here, under the sound of my voice, in the presence of my voice. I hope somehow, some way, God will show us something about this passage of Scripture that maybe we've seen before, but really it hasn't grasped us. The first thing I want you to see is the contrast of two earthly people, just two people who breathed and lived just like we do, and just like people in America do, and people in the world do, there were two separate men. The first man, he was clothed in purple and fine linen. You say, so what? What does that mean? Well, it tells us something about this man. He was a rich guy. This man, he had apparel that was worn only by people that were either princes or royalty or very wealthy, wealthy people. Fared sumptuously is where the Bible uh, speaks of it. And it says he fared sumptuously every single day. It wasn't like he had days where he was poor and days that he was rich. No, he fared sumptuously every single day. Sumptuously, what in the world does that mean? It simply means excessively costly. This man was rich. This guy was wealthy. 
And this guy was set for life in ways that most of us will never be. You know, society today tells us that people live for riches. They do, don't they? I think we all would agree with that. In fact, the survey tells us that the greatest goal in life among Americans is to get rich. You ever notice that the World Series, when it comes to a World Series game or, or, or the, uh, the uh, Super Bowl or NBA championship or the tennis, uh, you know, the Wimbledon or wherever, you ever notice the cameras, they always know who's sitting where and they always focus in on who? The vendors? <laughs> no, not really. People that are selling popcorn and peanuts and Coke, they're never shown. Who is shown? Well, the wealthiest celebrities. They already know where they're sitting. They already know where they are, and they're ready to focus in on them throughout the match or the game. Or... But can I remind you of something? On Judgment Day, everyone will stand on level ground. Everybody. There's another man in this story of Jesus as he tells it, and, and Jesus gives him a name. His name is Lazarus. As this rich guy, he leaves every day in his Mercedes chariot to dine in his five-star restaurants. He passes a dude. He passes a guy every single day. He drives right on past a guy Jesus calls Lazarus. That was his name. But there's something about Lazarus that we know. He was a beggar. He was a homeless guy. And he sat outside the gate of the rich man because he knew that he could get some crumbs from the rich man's table. Now, there's some things we know about Lazarus. He, he couldn't walk. Lazarus was in need of everything. He had no home. He had no real uh, wealth at all he had no health I mean he he longed just for the leftovers to be thrown out of the by the gate of the rich man the Bible also tells us that this guy he's very very sick he, he's full of sores so there's a contrast of two earthly people the rich man he's covered in purple and fine linen Lazarus the Bible says he's covered in something too. He's covered in sores. The rich man, he fared sumptuously. Lazarus, he only got the crumbs. The rich man, he had a lot of servants. Lazarus, the Bible says he had dogs that came and licked his sores. So there's two earthly people. And man, what a contrast. But I want you to notice the second thing this morning, and that is the contrast of two eternal places. Jesus talks about two different places, and man, how different they are, vastly different. Did you know that there, it is said that 162 times in the New Testament that it speaks of the doom of an unbelieving soul? 162 times in the New Testament alone but did you know the interesting thing about that is in 162 times speaking of the doom of an unbeliever 70 of those times it is directly spoken of by Jesus 70 times did you also know that Jesus Christ spoke about hell three times more than he spoke about heaven three times more he spoke about hell than he did heaven Jesus spoke about hell at the Sermon on the Mount Jesus spoke about hell and when he said in Mark chapter 9 verse 43 if thy hand offend thee he uses extreme analogy he says if thy right hand offends thee or 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 if it uh, offends thee he said take it and cut it off why why would you say that lord because he's giving us an example he said it would be better for you to enter into heaven maimed without an arm than to have two hands that would go into hell into the fire that will never be quenched 
Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 5, he, he says to a huge crowd that had gathered, and you know that many times huge crowds would gather to listen to his teaching and maybe catch a miracle or two. And on one occasion, there's a large crowd in, in, in chapter 12 of Luke, and, and Jesus said, he said, I've got something to say unto you, and he calls them friends. He said these words, don't be afraid of them that kill the body, but then after that, there's nothing else they can do. Now, think about that. Here's a guy that can kill you. Jesus said, don't fear him so much. What do you mean don't fear him? Here's a guy who can kill me. How can I not fear him? He contrasted. He said, I want to tell you who you should fear. He said, I forewarn you whom you should fear. He said, fear him which after he hath killed or taken a life, he has power to cast into hell. Jesus said, yea, I say unto you, fear him. Now let me remind you of something. Of all the people who ever walked this earth, who was the most loving, kind, compassionate, caring person that ever lived? Jesus Christ. And yet he is the one who is talking about hell. Luke chapter 16, Christ speaks not only about hell, but he speaks of the details of it. And so, if I'm going to preach the whole counsel of God, I need to remind you today and remind myself of the details of what hell is really, truly like. But before I do, let me remind you that death is so certain, isn't it? Whether rich or poor, we all will die. Whether godly or ungodly, we all will die. The most certain thing in life is death. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says it is appointed. There's an appointment. You and I have an appointment. We have an appointment day. It's an appointment with death. And it doesn't matter what the age is. It doesn't matter what, uh, how long or short you have lived. We all will die one day. And it's very hard for us to know how much longer we have because no one knows. I had lunch with a guy who's only 19 years of age who attends here at First Baptist, a new, a new attender. And he told me of how that his friend had gone off and he was a good godly guy and he went off on a short-term mission trip. He came home and a number of days later he could not get out of bed. Didn't know what was wrong with him. The squad came and took him, got him off the bed, got him into the hospital. But he never came out of the hospital before he died. All of us have an appointment with death. The beggar, the Bible says he died. And there's not even a mention of his burial. That doesn't mention that. But the rich man died, <coughs> and it says that he was buried. Can you imagine the funeral this guy must have had? Can you imagine the beautiful casket he had? Can you imagine the monument, the stately monument that he... I guarantee you he probably had some prominent preacher that preached him right on into heaven. You ever been to a funeral service like that? Oh, the immediate condition after death. The beggar, he went from rags to riches. The beggar, he went from sores to splendid joy. This beggar, he went from hunger to heaven. I mean, he went from poverty, absolute poverty, right on into paradise. But the rich man, he went from pomp to pain. The rich man, he went from splendor to suffering. This rich guy who everybody in the community knew, he went from all kinds of wealth to absolute wailing. He went from banqueting to begging. And the Bible says in hell, he lifted up his eyes. 
being in torment. According to the teaching of Jesus Christ, hell is a real place. And all the theologians that are the liberal theologians, they can't teach it away. All of the educators, they can't educate it away. All of the scientists, they can't experiment it away. God says it's a very real place. Reminds me of Abe Lincoln who came across a boy and he was talking to the boy and he said, hey, uh, he asked him a question. He said, hey, Sonny, let me ask you this. He said, how many legs does a dog have? And the little boy said, oh, that's easy. He said, he's got four legs. And Abe Lincoln said to him, yeah, but but if you call his tail a leg, then how many legs does he have? The little boy looked up at him and he said, well, then he would have five. And Lincoln said, no, he'd still have four. <laughs> he said, a tail is still a tail no matter what you call it. People can try to explain hell away. But it doesn't change the fact that according to Jesus, hell is still a very real place. In fact, four times Jesus says about hell, it's a place of torment. Verse 23, and in hell, the rich man lifted up his eyes being in torments. Luke 24, he, the rich man cried out for, I am in torment. I'm tormented in this place. Verse 25, it says, and thou art tormented. Verse 28, this rich man in hell, he cries out and he says, I have five brethren that he may testify unto them lest they also come into this place of torment. So what kind of torments are in hell? I don't know about you, but even as a Christian, it's like I kind of don't want to know. It's too rough. But if Jesus put it right smack dab in the middle of the Gospels, he put it there for a reason, didn't he? He wants lost people to understand where they're headed. And he wants his followers to understand where the lost are headed. What is it? I want you to see verse 24, the helplessness that people have in hell. He cries out in verse 24 and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And look at this, look, don't miss it. Send Lazarus. What? Lazarus, the beggar? Yeah, remember, Lazarus the beggar, now he is at the mercy of the rich man. The rich man calls out for mercy. Send Lazarus. The rich man is at the mercy of this beggar. The helplessness of hell, the thirst of hell. Friend, listen, it is better to beg bread on this earth like Lazarus did than to beg for water in hell like the rich man is. The flame of hell. And this is where you and I struggle, right? There's something about it, man, there's great struggle when we think of that, the flame of hell. Can this really be? But Matthew chapter 13, verse 42, it says, He shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, verse 41, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me into everlasting fire. The memories of hell. Verse 25. Son, he says, remember. Remember. Look at it, what he says in verse 25. Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Remember. Listen. You can turn a deaf ear 
to God's word. You could say, I don't want to hear this. And you can turn a deaf ear from it all. But in hell, you will remember forever. You'll remember your parent pleading with you to get saved. Your son or daughter begging you because they received Christ and you haven't. You'll remember your neighbor telling you about Jesus. You'll remember your pastor, your preacher sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and telling you about a place Jesus called hell. You know, memory can be a wonderful thing, can it? You know, memory is a wonderful thing. There's many a night I'll take and I'll get out pictures in my room and think about some vacations that Joy and I had. Think about good times that we had. There's something about me sitting there in that chair that I, yeah, just like you would expect. I remember her in a choir. I remember her sitting beside me. I remember her up here with me for pastor appreciation. I remember as I walk through the hallways of church when nobody's here through the week of us with Tammy Litzow or Betty Stiles or people that were decorating this place and coming up with the colors. Good memories. Memories can be a really special thing, can't they? But oh, memory can also be a terrible thing. Chad Robichaud, for example, he's coming here. Guys, put this on your calendar and already start telling all your friends about it. He'll be here January 28th. Say, that's a ways away. Not not that far. (laughs) The holidays are around the corner. He'll be here on the 28th of January. And Chad Robichaud, probably many of you don't know who he is, but he's spoken to Congress. He's spoken at Liberty University. He has spoken all over the country. He's spoken in many places in the world. Why? Because he was a, a, a Marine, a recon, special forces. He went in and he, he actually, he and a few guys rescued 17,000 people in Afghanistan. He's actually gone in and even rescued people in Ukraine recently. Chad Robichaud ended up fighting MMA, and he won the championship for the league that he was in and the weight class that he was in. You know why he won the championship? Because he had PTSD so bad with the memories of the military that when he came back home, he couldn't get relief with his mind over all that had taken place. So he went to MMA. He, 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 he trained for eight to ten hours a day, he said, and he ended up the best in his weight class. Memories. Memories can be a horrible thing. The memory of hell will haunt people for all of eternity. Do you know how many people through the years have told me when I have preached to them and then they talk to me afterwards and they're not saved or when I've talked to them one-on-one, do you know how many people have said to me, hey Brent, I know where you are when I need you. They're saying, hey, I'm not ready to accept Christ as Savior. I, I know where you are. Do you know that hell is filled with people that never intended to go there? Never intended to go there. It's been said that the road of hell or the road to hell is paved with good intentions. But Jesus said nobody's getting a second chance. Friend, I want to tell you, if you are right in your mind this morning, you have the opportunity today to repent of your sin and give your life to Jesus Christ, the God who loves you with every fiber in his being. There's the darkness of hell. 
Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There's the sounds of hell. Matthew chapter 13, verse 50, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The eternity of hell. Verse 26 says there is a great gulf fixed between the two. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 9, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Matthew 25, 46, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment. Friend, listen, listen, please listen. Eternity is too long to be wrong. It's too long for you to be wrong. Has it ever occurred to you that hell was never prepared for mankind? Hell wasn't prepared for man. The Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew, he said in chapter 25, verse 41, that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. No, I want to tell you what was prepared for you heaven in John chapter 14 you can spend eternity in a place that was not intended or made for you or you can spend eternity in a place that Jesus is making for you it all depends on what you do with Jesus Christ now Christian I preached everything that I just said to remind you and me of where Jesus said every soul that has never trusted Christ will spend eternity. Why would I do that when it's not you? It's not me. I'll tell you why. Because Christ gives the contrast of two earnest pleas. The plea. Read with me in verse 27. Here's this rich guy. He's now in hell. And he said, I beg thee, I beg thee, therefore, Father, that thou would send him, Lazarus, to my father's house. Why? Because I have five brethren I want him to testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. You want to know how bad hell is? So bad that this rich man in hell begs and pleads for somebody to share the gospel with his five brothers. I want to tell you, this guy in hell now, this rich dude, he, he, he's not involved in who's your one. I'll tell you what he's involved in. There's my five. You get my drift. I wonder how many people are in hell right now as I speak that are begging for you and me to share the gospel with their brother, with their sister, with their mother, with their father, with their neighbor with their friend with their son or their daughter and all I say to you and me as a child of God may God help us not to let the people in hell be more concerned over who's going to hell than the people who are sitting in churches like this one and others I was listening to a sermon recently and I heard about how that you know, you know that many, many, many Jews lost their lives under Hitler. But you know what? Much of it was because of the silence of the church. In fact, Hitler said to pastors, you stay, you do what you do in the church with the people that come to church, and I'll take care of all the rest, everything else. In other words, what Hitler was doing was he was getting the churches to become isolated. He was getting churches to become so isolated and it is said that as the trains would race on by the churches 
filled with Jews carrying them to concentration camps that you could hear the cries of help while you were inside the church. When one church member was asked, when those trains were racing by the church and people were crying out for help and you could hear them, what did you do inside the church? You know what they said? We would sing louder. I'm telling you today, that's not the answer. That is not the answer. It's not the answer for me to become more clever in my preaching. It's not the answer for us to become more creative in our programming. It's not the answer for us to have the most amazing music program that we could ever have. It's not the answer for the church to become more churchy. I want to tell you the greatest tragedy of the modern church is unbowed heads, unbent knees, and unbroken hearts. Billy Sunday said, and I quote, he said, let's quit, quit fiddling with religion and do something to bring the world to Jesus Christ. God said it this way in Ezekiel chapter 3. He said, if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked of their way, that wicked man will die in his iniquity, but God said, I will tell you that his blood is required at your hands. Notice what Abraham's answer was to the rich men in hell. He says in verse 29, wait a minute, he says, let me tell you something, your brothers have Moses and the prophets. Well, what, do you, what do you mean by that? They have the Bible and they have preaching and sharing. You see, that tells me that you and I, we have a responsibility to share the Word of God and to tell people of the error of their way and to tell them that Jesus Christ loves them, died for them, and can deliver them like He did you and me. That tells me I better ask myself, who's my one? That tells me as a pastor preaching the whole counsel of God that every single solitary child of God in, the, in this room today, you have a one, a two, a three, a four, or five. There's a very interesting story in, in 2 Kings chapter 7. Let me remind you of this story. It's pretty interesting. There are four lepers outside of a Syrian camp. The Syrians are their enemy. The Syrians are the enemies of the Israelites. But these four lepers, they're outside and they're starving to death. They're dying. And one of the lepers says to the other, you know how they would converse, man, we're dying, we're going to die here in days. We might as well get up and go into this Syrian camp and maybe they'll have mercy on us, spare us and let us have some food. So they got up and they decided to do that. But God had done a miracle. God had caused the people in the Syrian camp to hear like, like through a, a, a mighty wind and they all took and got up and they fled. They thought they were being attacked by an army. So these four lepers, they get inside the Syrian camp and it's like nobody's there. There's not one enemy soldier in the camp. You know what those four lepers found? <laughs> they found all kinds of food, all kinds of banqueting luxuries. They found all kinds of clothing. They found gold and silver, and they just feasted for days. And all of a sudden, they said, let's bury some of this stuff. Let's just store it up. Let's bury it. Let's make good. That way we can have it made for a long, long time. But finally, one of them said to the other three, 
we're not doing very good here today. Why not, man? You're just doing what you should do, living off the fat of the land. He said, no, we do not well here today because today is a day of really good tidings and we hold our peace. You know what he's saying? We've got all this stuff and all of our people are back home and they're in a famine too. And they don't have food either. And we hold our peace. You see, they came across life-changing information and goods, and they knew it was time for them to share it with others. Question. Are you saved? Do you know heaven is where you're headed when you die? How do you know that? You have a testimony. A day and a time where you came to the foot of the cross and you opened your heart and life to Jesus Christ and you confessed your sin before him knowing that in your sin you would die and go to hell. But you found the answer. Somebody shared it with you. Somebody preached it to you. Somebody told you. And you now have the blessed of an abundant life and life in heaven. Question. Do you hold your peace? Is it not time to share it with others we do not well if we keep the good news of heaven to ourselves. we do not well if we don't rescue people from an eternal hell Christian I ask you today do you have a burden for lost souls trust me I've asked myself that do I have a burden for lost souls Our prayer needs to be, oh dear God, break my heart for lost souls. If my heart is not tender and compassionate and caring and loving for others, dear God, change it. Change my heart. Give me a burden for my one, for my family, for my friends, for my coworkers, for my neighbors. As the psalmist said in one, uh, Psalm 126, verse 6, He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I'm just telling you today, I know, dear God, that I've got to have a compassionate heart. I must be burdened for others. I must love them to a certain degree that I might have the boldness to share the gospel with them. It's what God has called me to, and it'll make a difference in people's lives. Years ago, a great storm came up on a beach. A little girl was traumatized. She's walking down the beach, and there were just starfish everywhere on the beach. She'd take, and she'd pick up the starfish, and she would throw it back into the sea. She'd go and pick up this one and throw it back into the sea, but they were everywhere. And she'd pick this one up, throw it back into the water, and all of a sudden a man came the opposite direction. And he chuckled. He said, little girl, (laughs) you'll never save all these starfish. He said, it doesn't make a difference. She just reached down grabbed another starfish picked it up and she said to the man it makes a difference to this one and she threw it back into the water it seems like an overwhelming task doesn't it but I want to tell you It makes a difference to your one. And it makes a difference to my one. Friend, if you don't believe there's a real heaven, and if you don't believe there's a real hell, 
then just go on living the way you are because it doesn't matter. But if you believe as Jesus said, there is a heaven and there is a hell, then may God help you and me to care enough about our one, two, three, ten. May God help us. Father, I pray that you might quiet our hearts. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you might silence our souls right now. And I ask and I pray that you might help us to examine our life, to see, first of all, if we're in the faith. Lord God, I ask and I pray this morning that you might speak into every lost person here May they open their heart to Jesus today. And God, I ask and I pray that every single solitary Christian in this church would become so burdened in their soul, our soul, my soul, to open our mouth boldly to make known the wonderful mysteries of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. With no one moving around please my friend it may be that you're here today and God purposed for you to be here because you need Jesus it may be that you're here today and you have good intentions and yet you just keep waiting and waiting and procrastinating Paul said today is the day of salvation Today is the accepted time. With heads bowed and eyes closed, my friend, right here, right now, you can open your heart to Jesus today and become a child of God and never have to worry about hell for you. And the way you can do that is to just do it the way God says, the only way. The Bible says, I am the way, Jesus said, the truth and the life, and no man will ever get to heaven except through me, Jesus said. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross for you. Why? Because Jesus is the perfect Savior. Because Jesus is the only one that can atone or cover my sin and forgive me or you. And so right there in your seat today or even online, you can pray and open your heart to Christ by simply in your own words praying a prayer like this that says, Dear Lord God, just pray that. Dear Lord God, I, I know that I'm a sinner and I know there's not one thing I can do to earn my way to heaven. But I believe you love me, God. And I believe you gave your son Jesus to die for me. And so, Lord Jesus, right now, I'm asking you to come into my life and save me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Change me. With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, I wonder how many of you would say, Pastor Snook, between me, you, and God, I just prayed that prayer. I'm not going to come to you, embarrass you. I will not point you out. But I wonder how many of you would say, I just prayed that prayer and I truly meant it and I just invited Jesus into my life. If you did that, I want to ask you right now just to lift your hand. When I see you, you can put it right back down. But how many of you would say, I just prayed that prayer and I meant it and I'm not ashamed of it? God bless you, sir. Praise God for that. Thank you. You may put your hand down. Man, that's the greatest decision you'll ever make. Promise you. How many others would say, I too, I just prayed that prayer and I meant it. I just received Christ into my life. How many others? Just put it up real quick. Are there others? Anyone at all? I want to just speak to the one individual who prayed. I just want to talk to you for a second. In fact, I, 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 nobody knows who it is, so I'm going to ask you if you'll look at me for a second. Will you do that? Thanks. 
Man, I want to tell you, it's the greatest decision you ever made in your life. And it may seem to you like, man, is it real? Is it not? I'm not sure. I'm not positive. Here's what I want you to do. In a minute, we're going to, all, we're going to sing one song and go home. I want to ask you to do something. Come to one of these guys right in the front. Because what they're going to do is they're going to show you from the Bible and give you material to take home with you and give you assurance so that you don't walk out of here saying, man, was it real? Was it not? No, I want you walking out of here knowing that Jesus Christ is who he said he is and that you praying to receive Christ a moment ago is real, okay? So when we stand in a minute, just get up and come right down here. Now, Christian, I really preach this message for you and me. Do you have an overwhelming burden in your soul for others to be saved? Your answer to that is either yes or no. If your answer to that is yes, then let's go out and reach them. If your answer to that question is no, then your prayer needs to be, God, break my heart heart for others give me a burden for the lost and whether you have a burden or not go out and begin to share your faith you want to know what will give you a greater burden to go where the people are and begin to invite them to church give them your story how you got saved and let God move through you. Would you stand with me for a moment? I am so glad that you joined us today on our online campus. If you made a decision for Jesus Christ to receive Christ as your personal Savior, or if you decided that you wanted to be all in for Jesus Christ, we would love for you to click the share button so that we can rejoice with you and even pray for you. Thank you so much for joining us on our online campus today. And we trust that you'll join us again soon.